0: This is a TBN UK podcast. In this series, you can hear some of the interviews from TBN Meets, where faith meets culture. Hear from Christian ministries, innovators, authors, artists, and creatives. Hi, TBN family, and welcome to TBN Meets. Today, we're joined by Gavin Calvin. Now, You know him very well. He's an ordained evangelist, public speaker, author, and he's a regular here at TBN UK. But today, Gavin is here to tell us about his incredible new role as the CEO of the Evangelical Alliance to be. Welcome, Gavin.
1: Thank you. Great to be here.
0: So tell us about the role that you're about to step into and also a little bit about the Evangelical Alliance, if any of our viewers aren't so familiar with
1: that yeah i'm I'm about to step into leading the evangelical alliance which is incredibly exciting but also quite daunting yeah and the evangelical alliance has existed since 1846 and what it is it's the largest and the oldest unity movement seeking to represent the two million evangelicals in this country so it's a member organization it's made up of about 4,000 churches about 700 organizations and tens of thousands of individuals who say we stand together to make jesus known Has two aims to unite the church in a mission to this land Mm. and secondly to give the church a clear and effective voice into every layer of society it's a great privilege but yeah it's a big deal
0: because in terms of um, movements like that some people say well identify as evangelical Mm. but maybe not know about the evangelical alliance how do you go about recruiting churches or or how do people kind of become involved Mm. in your orbit
1: Mm. well as it's a membership thing you kind of you kind of opt in Okay. So individuals would tend to sign up. On a Sunday morning, I'd preach somewhere and I'd talk about the organisation. I'd talk about how we represent in Parliament and various other places, and people would think, OK, I want to give my voice to your organisation. Yeah. They might join that way. For a church, um, often a denominational head will say we would love our people to join. Other times a church would think, hang on, we want to be part of something bigger. Yeah. And at other times still... Some churches think they have been members for years, find out by <laughs> accident they're not and sign up.
0: They're like, so what would you actually say isn't evangelical? Because we throw mm. around just kind of denominational mm. terms and, and mm. what would you just class an evangelical okay.
1: as? To keep it simple, yeah. we believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. Okay. Stop changing the Bible to fit your culture and start changing your culture with the word of God. Okay. We believe the death and resurrection of Jesus is the most mm. important thing in human history. We believe in the need to be saved. So many of my friends seem to think you come to faith by osmosis. You don't, you get on your knees and you meet your saviour. But we also believe in being active in the world, making the world more like the kingdom. That's why it was evangelicals that led the abolition of the slave trade. Evangelicals provided education before anyone else. And in the last 20 years or so, evangelicals have had division for and delivered street pastors, Christians against poverty, food banks. So it's those four things together, high view of the Bible, death and resurrection central to everything, The need for conversion and the need to be active in the world making it more like the kingdom
0: so evangelism is kind of really the driving heart would you say of kind of what you how all of that is outworked in a sense
1: yeah i'd say so if you looked around the world and you looked through history the key marker of evangelicalism is a desperate desire to share the gospel Mm. and that links into all of it We are the good news people. This is, the the, the great sadness is people often politicize the term in other countries or or they look at it differently, but we're people of the evangel, people of the good news. We are the good news people. So often we're we're sought to be caricatured as people who aren't good news, but that's what we are. In the middle of the heart of the evangelical is a desire to see the gospel transform lives.
0: So as you just alluded to, in some places, it has been politicized Mm. or or it comes to mean something else in people's mind, which is not what you've kind of just described. So as you begin this journey of kind of taking Mm. over the leadership of that movement, so to speak, in this Mm. country, what is your vision for the Evangelical Alliance kind of moving forward?
1: Yeah, I think firstly, the term's not redundant, it just needs a little bit redeeming. Yeah. But my vision for the Evangelical Alliance is that we truly would see a church that unites more broadly and a church that stands together to transform this nation. The church can do something the world can't do. We were recently having a, a curry in a local curry house from my church. We went there and there were about 22 men of those men aged maybe 16 to 80 odd. Of those 22, about 15 different ethnicities, Wow! my friend Al who runs the Curry House says, well, what are you lot? <laughs> I said, well, what do you think we are? He says, well, you're a vicar types, so you must be church. <laughs> I said, well, what, what else? He said, no one else can bring this group of people in here yeah. and then be this diverse and yet still together. The church crosses every boundary. Mm. No one else can get that bunch of people that diverse together saying let's go forward together. My vision for the Evangelical Alliance is that we would unite the Evangelical Church in this nation and that as a united body we would go forward and see absolute transformation for Jesus in the United Kingdom socially and spiritually and that we might see a church working together to make Jesus known.
0: And that's amazing because so many people say the church is so divided and you know we're We're not diverse Mm. or we're not this or we're not that. Mm. But I think so you're you're saying actually there's just a much more hopeful message going on.
1: Oh, completely. I mean, I go around the country, the last four or five Sundays, I've preached most Sundays somewhere. I preached in a church where there were 2,000 people and I was uh, the only white person. Yeah. I preached in another church which was a crazy Pentecostal <laughs> church and I was loving it. I preached in another church where, in the nicest way, I, I, I didn't mention the fact my wife was ordained because some people would disagree with that. Yeah, I preached yeah. in another church that was a fairly middle-of-the-road Baptist church. All of these churches are evangelical. All of these churches want to transform the United Kingdom. We want to say, let's do it together.
0: Yeah, and there's a sense of, really, the best witness is kind of love and disagreement. Mm. And how do you, how do you think, how do, we, how do we bring all those things together? Because, like I so said, there's some people who don't agree with women in ministry, mm. there's some people you know, who have an all-black church, an all-white church. Uh, you know, what, what, how do we bring all that together?
1: We do have to gather around something, because yeah. otherwise unity can be very magnolia. We have to gather around something. At the Evangelical Alliance, the way we do that is a statement of faith. There's a statement of faith that any individual or any church or organization sign up to to say we sign up to these things. They're the things that we'd give our lives over. Yeah. Beyond that, there are differences in the church and we learn to live together. Yeah. But there are some basics that have to unite. For example, you can't do evangelism with people that don't see the need for others to be converted. Yeah. <laughs> so there are certain things that hold us together. Mm. And, and the other thing I'd say is evangelicals don't have exclusivity on heaven. there'll be many other Christians in heaven (laughs) but evangelicalism is my tribe my family yeah and there are an estimated 12,000 evangelical churches in the United Kingdom an estimated 2 million people and what we want to do is unite those people and represent them to every layer of society so that on our watch we don't also see the church going to the dogs and we don't see all kinds of difficulties being thrown at us by the powers that be
0: so people often say the church is in decline do you believe that's true
1: no I really don't. I don't believe it's true because there's never been as many Christians in the world as there are right now today. Yeah. The church has grown more today than any other day in its history. So this depends how you take your view. If you take your view purely in your nation, yeah. you get a certain view. If you take your view globally, the church has never grown as much as it has today. Yeah. I can't live in London and operate in the United Kingdom and not take a global view. Yeah. The reason being, I live in a global city. Yeah. So the church is exploding in London. Is that to do with incredible evangelism through indigenous white Anglo-Saxon British? Probably not. But it is to do with the church growing and seeing reverse mission taking place as well. So when I take a global view, the church is growing. But I do look at my nation and I do long to see a revival here. I I have a kind of a dream that American, um, African, South American churches would tell illustrations from a revival happening in the UK. Not because things aren't happening where they are, but because things kick off here. For now, that's not happening. But I'm part of a global family, not just a British one.
0: And if we have faith it can happen somewhere else, then we have to have that same faith that God can do that same thing here for us. Definitely it's really and it's exciting because one of the things that's really interesting so you and Anne were here the other day mm. and we were all chatting and as you're into your new role it's mm. so exciting because succession can often mm. be such a tricky mm. thing not just in christian circles but mm. in any kind of leadership space steve clifford yeah. was there for 10 years what's that process been like and will continue to be like over the next few mm. months as mm. you both transition yeah. in out
1: we're gonna do it well yeah we're gonna do we're great friends i love steve Steve's very different to me he's a man in his mid 60s he's a great diplomat um, he's very wise Are you not
0: diplomatic. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm learning joking. to be diplomatic I'm learning to be wiser
1: those things you know they, yeah. they tend to come with age yeah. but yeah. you can steal them so I'm being a ministry magpie from people like Steve <laughs> but being honest we're just trying to do it well mm. I think so often we get this stuff wrong and I want to help him finish well as much yeah. as he wants to help me start well Amazing. and the bottom line is when he's gone out the door it's not like i'm never going to ring him yeah only a fool does that and i i'm sick of generations fighting against each other Yes. at some point we've got to metaphorically hold hands and say let's go forward together and uh, that's what steve and i are going to do
0: it's so interesting because i still speak to leon mm.
1: yeah <laughs> and Great i still man. and
0: i still ask him like mm. what would you do about this Or so he'll say i think you should do this and i think do you think the church has perhaps suffered from Sometimes you have young people impatient to just take over from the old fuddy-duddies who don't know what's going on, and the older people slow down, like you don't, you haven't had the life experience. Like you say, how do we metaphorically well hold hands and learn from each other?
1: I think generations have struggled with each other. Often a generation gets into position and sits. So a generation then gets missed and then it goes a lot younger again. And sometimes younger have to recreate and reimagine because there's not room. And I think we need to get better as family. Yeah. family integrates the least mature and gives them opportunities when I um, went to blockbuster video back in the day <laughs> b- about God. the year 2000 I saw a dad in there with his two kids and I felt God say to me if the dad wants to watch Rambo but the kids want to watch Dumbo what do they watch they watch Dumbo because what you do in a family is you accommodate the least mature yeah. and give them an opportunity in the church we don't always do that we hold on to position and we don't necessarily release. We need to work together. Now, what we don't need is a new generation with the old generation going out the window. We need the two together. I don't want to make the mistakes that the Evangelical Alliance that Steve Clifford will have made. I want to learn from his so I can then make my own. Yeah, (laughs) different ones. But but (laughs) foolishness would be to make the same mistakes as him because I haven't learned from the previous generation. And the family of the church has got to start doing this better, passing the baton on working together. And also the Jesus model of ministry is one generation with another. Jesus in his early 30s, yeah. when he wants to change the world, he doesn't start an elder board, he starts a youth group. Yeah. According to the late John Stott, the disciples were age 15 to 22. Yeah. And so what Jesus does, he invests younger, gives opportunity, hopes they'll go further, gives them chances, but he doesn't run away. And that's where I think some of this succession stuff, people are saying to me, oh, do you want Steve just to get out of the way? No, no, <laughs> no. no. On, don't <laughs> no. I, want, I want the keys, as yeah. it were, but I really want him in the passenger seat with me. <laughs>
0: And, it's, and it is really interesting and, it, and it's a lot of humility on both sides for that relationship to work because it's also hard to give up something that yeah. you've grown, cultivated mm. for so long. Now, going back quickly to your lovely wife, Anne, yeah, yeah. you've written books together yeah. and you host a show on TVN yeah. UK together. What are your top tips, one, for working with your spouse and how, how have you found that journey of like marriage and working mm. career? Because most couples, work together so they they live and then they separate in the day how's that been for you
1: it's been great to be honest i don't think either of us and i'm sure Anne would agree i don't think either of us would like to do it full time okay (laughs) so i think it's nice to have your place to play so mine might be ea yeah and works at stanmore baptist those are overlapping stanmore's my church and a very passionate member of the EA. But we have a space of our own. Yeah. However, there's something wonderful about working with your spouse if you can make it work. We particularly like the tag team preaching or, or the stuff we do on here. Because you make space for each other, you help each other fly. We're gonna do a load of Bible teaching in the next few weeks together at yeah. conferences. We, we love doing that stuff. And it's great to see, see one another benefit. What's also good is for the listener. And I think this about TBN too. If you've got both of us on there, if you find one of us annoying, you've got the other one. (laughs) You're doubling your odds in terms of opportunity to engage. But also, um, my theology at least, is that a man and a woman come together to to be able to do more for Jesus together, but also to love Jesus more together. If we can model that a little bit through our relationship, we want to show that. And it's a great privilege of mine and a hope of Anne's to make room for the other to flourish because the kingdom wins when any of God's people step into what he has for them.
0: And you are working on a new book. Can you tell us a little bit yeah. about that? Or?
1: Yeah, well, we've just sent off the first draft, yeah. which is a bit scary. It's called Unleashed. It's looking at the Axe Church today. It's connected to next year's Spring Harvest. And what it's looking at is what would it look like for us to, to behave like the Axe Church today? Yeah. I think in many ways our landscape is like that. I feel we're in more of a pre-Christian than a post-Christian culture. I think we're increasingly feeling like strangers in a foreign land. We may be heading to about a harder time to be Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, we're operating in a time when um, we may be spread out a bit and things are different. We need to operate in words, works, and wonders. And so some of this we're bringing to life. We're really pleased with how it feels in the book. Yeah. We're really pleased with the messaging of the book. However, at this process, at this stage, it's the tidying up of the loose ends, yeah, is the problem. When, when Before it goes over. to print.
0: <laughs> yeah, you didn't quite say that in the best way. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you write books together. Yeah. You are about to be the CEO of the Evangelical Lights where you work at the, currently as yeah. well. And you also work with Spring Harvest. Yeah. So tell us a bit about a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, Spring Harvest is an amazingly diverse gathering of Christians. Mm. It gathers people from across the kind of evangelical spectrum into one place. We we meet at four different breaks: two at Minehead Butlins, one at Skegness, and then one in Harrogate, which isn't Butlins. And these weeks um, they're themed hence the Unleashed book, but they're themed, so every age group looks at the same stuff. So um, when you gather for lunch with your family, whether they're in the noughts to fives or or in an adult venue, they've looked at the same stuff. And Spring Harvest seeks to give space for people to encounter God, to then give them an opportunity to be inspired, to be confident in the gospel, Mm. and then to send people home to transform their communities. It's a gathering of about 21,000 people. It's very exciting. We love being involved in it. I guess it's, it's kind of like the EA residential in some ways. <laughs> it's it's a, a widespread of the evangelical church, gathering together to be encouraged, encounter God, and be transformed together, then off you go.
0: And is that kind of important for you? Because there's obviously a lot of synergy with all the things that you're doing. But there are lots of things, and they're mm. all big things. Yeah. So, how important is it that there's that synergy? How important is it that that all work? Like, how yeah. do you make
1: it work? You have to know what you're put on the planet to do. Yeah. And that sense of calling for me goes beyond job titles. So, I feel that my calling before God is to try and unite the church to reach the lost. Yeah. Therefore, if you're going to do anything, is it doing that? Yeah. Um, and if it's not doing that, how does it get through the filter? So you talked about me and Anne working together, occasionally we'll do something together that doesn't quite perfectly fit with that, but it fits more with what Anne's calling is. And as a husband, um, I believe in mutual submission between us in different ways. Yeah. So, so you would operate in that way. However, you, you have to know what the, the filters are so you know what to say no to as well as what to say yes to. And sadly, I have to say no to quite a lot of things.
0: And how do you do that? Because there, I know there's so many Christians who are like, just don't say no, or they want to say no and feel they can't because that's not being very quote unquote Christian. You know, what's your view on that? How do you do that?
1: Well, one, I try not to overestimate how important I am. Yeah. I think sometimes it's, it's really hard to say no if you have a slightly inflated view of what you bring to the party. But also, Anne and I, um, every year on holiday in May, decide what the rules are because the rules make the fun work so if you've decided you can only work so many Sundays and then the greatest offer to ever preach anywhere comes along you have to say no so you decide the rules before the opportunities on the table as opposed to if you just you just let the opportunities come in you're in trouble we also the, the thing that we get most wrong but are improving on every month is rhythm yeah and so you've got to check in and you've got to see and we don't want to miss out on our kids growing up I don't want to miss out playing football with my son, or or with my daughter, and we don't want to miss out on those important moments. So it's a balance, really.
0: And that is really interesting, because I think spiritual rhythms is probably something that more and more people, more and more mm. Christians, are kind of coming alive to the idea of Sabbath and rest. Mm. So what do you do for? I mean, I follow you on Instagram, so I know you're a keen sports person. Yeah. What do you What do you do for rest?
1: Yeah, rest is an interesting word. Um, I like running. You could say that's not rest, yes. but for me that is. Yeah, I love. Trying. And I'm ludicrously excited. Because it's the start of football season again and who <laughs> do you support? AFC Wimbledon
0: okay <laughs> which I personally think is the
1: same team as Jesus because Jesus cares about the marginalized those mistreated and those who've been forced to live in exile but, <laughs> but I love my football and yeah. what's been ama- I think what's amazing at the moment is our kids are 12 and 9 and we're suddenly in this this wonderful phase where some of the things you'd actually love to do they love to do too uh, so it's perfect so, so what we call parenting now is going to a football match or you go to the cinema and it doesn't have to be animated, or you're in <laughs> a, that wonderful season. We, we put high value on family time too. Mm. But then also, rest is an interesting thing because people say, well, do, are you looking forward to a break from what you do? Well, a lot of what I do is tell people about Jesus. So do I decide when I'm on holiday that I'm not gonna talk to anyone about Jesus? You can't turn that tap off. No. And so um, it's finding rhythms that work, but without exercise and without escapism. You know, football's yeah. like an escapism. For 90 minutes, nothing else matters. Just watch the game. Yeah. And. Uh, I think in some ways it's worse for my heart than any of the work <laughs> I do.
0: I, I love running because I feel like my mind really clears when mm. I run. After a little while, the rhythm just takes over, and I feel like that is a time when I can really like hear from God yeah, and like pray and just be like super clear. And if I don't exercise, I am like a miserable person.
1: Oh, no, I completely agree. I, I never understand people that run with stuff in their ears. Oh, I do. Stuff oh, okay. Well, there you I go. I listen to
0: worship music I try to listen to Christian music now when I
1: run. Oh, see, we're quite different then, because what I do is I go on a, a six mile run every other day. Wow. And the first mile, I get my body sorted. So yeah. I just get myself into a rhythm. So I'm doing, and I always do it outside. I can't imagine running in a gym.
0: See,
1: and I run treadmill. Yeah, I know. That shortens your pace. But, um,
0: <laughs> I'm but, five
1: foot two. <laughs> oh, God, no. There legs. you go. <laughs> uh, n- no comment at this point what is appropriate but but i go running i get the first mile sorted yeah and then i'll say to the lord we've got 40 minutes yeah what do you want to say yeah and you know what it's amazing in complete silence because because too much of our prayers are a monologue yeah and we don't stop to be quiet oh yeah and i can't sit in a chair and be quiet i'm like the duracell bunny i've got more energy than anyone but if i sit still i fall asleep so so you're running and then over that time the lord will bring someone to mind and you'll contact them or or you'll appreciate nature or or you'll even get occasionally something really quite direct from Jesus but what it's done is it's given me rhythms yeah so that I'm not just telling the Lord what I want yes but I've got a habit of space so I got injured a while ago I hurt my back and at that time I still went walking early in the morning because I can't I can't imagine now not having that That space space.
0: and it's interesting because I like the treadmill because there's nothing to look at apart from the wall okay so I just look at the wall I listen to my praise music yeah and like you say the first while you run you're just trying to get not out of breath and just do all that stuff but then I just feel like my mind begins to empty because of the rhythm of just your feet going up and down and I think at that moment I hear God definitely the clearest but I think everyone just needs don't they? Some kind of spiritual rhythm
1: Oh you have to, this is essential but it's through your personality type Yes. that's what I found liberating about the running I'm active, I'm not a passive person so, when I'm active, is when if I'm sorted out and I'm physically running, then I'm able to hear in a different way. Yeah. Whereas I felt for years, I felt so guilty because you'd my kneel on the time. floor yeah, just... <laughs> next to my bed and just uh... wait on Jesus. Yeah, it just doesn't work. Whilst you fall asleep. Well, <laughs> reading the Bible's fine, but yeah. I would always find that when it turns to the prayer time, it was so out of line with my character. Yeah. And actually, the Lord made me who He made me. Yeah. So it's finding a way for that rhythm to work. But I'd encourage you, Janelle, try. Try a run outside with nothing in your ears. You and know see what, what? I've happens. actually
0: gone home from the gym before because I forgot my music. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm not a word to it, but I will try. <laughs> but talking about family and yeah. footsteps, your, your father mm. was, led the Evangelical mm. Alliance in the 1990s. What is that like doing the job that you probably grew up watching yeah, yeah. him do and now you're doing it? What, what's that like? And is he very proud?
1: Yeah, and it, it goes another generation too because my yeah. mum's dad led the Evangelical Alliance too. No. Yes, yeah, different wow. surname, Gilbert Kirby in the, wow. in the 60s. And uh, he, at that time, was when he started Tear Fund when he was head of the EA, the Evangelical Alliance given. Relief yes. Fund. And so it, so it goes back a couple of generations. Um, I think there's a couple of things. One, I fought my DNA for quite a long time. I didn't want to just do what everyone thought was predictable. I'm one of four children. The other three would much rather do this than I would. But in the end, it was petty. You're like, God's made you a certain way. Get on with it. Um, My dad's immensely proud. My granddad, I'm sure, would be proud. Mm. I know that my Mm. uncle, who's my granddad's son, has conveyed how proud my granddad would be. Mm. And I think in the end, I know the price tag of the job yeah so I remember my dad getting a letter in blood through the front door every Monday for about wow. six months till the person got caught because of some of the stance he was making on some some issues I think at the time it was abortion you know if you're gonna make a stand on behalf of the church you're gonna get some yeah. stick I know what the cost is I know there's a big price tag but you know what that just prepares you more for the role. So I'm not taking this on because I think, what an incredible career opportunity. Quite the opposite. I don't have a career. I have a calling. But also I'm aware that this is going to be really hard. So in the last few weeks since it was announced, I've had loads of nice letters and emails and tweets. I've saved them all. (laughs) Because there's going to be a time I need to read them to help me keep going. And because the cost of doing this stuff i think the ea sometimes exists to take a bullet for the church to make a stand on behalf of the whole so that the whole don't have to it's a bit like um the early christians were thrown to the lions the other christians didn't ask to be thrown in too no but they were grateful that the others followed through yeah and sometimes i may be thrown into a metaphorical pit of lions and in that moment i'll remember how many people are actually with us not just the people throwing stuff at us
0: and it's, it is so interesting, isn't it? In the beginning, it's the yay. And it's much like that when God calls you in something, the first step is like so clear. It was such a God thing. And then the next step is, OK, really, I don't even see. <laughs> I don't even see a floor or a path in front of me. Yeah. And I think that is just kind of so interesting just to think about kind of the generational thing mm. and, the, and kind of running away mm. from something that God is like really calling you into. What was the moment that turned it around that made you go, I'm not going to fight anymore?
1: OK. Um, The first moment, the most significant was, I was 17 when my mum and dad moved to America to run the American Tear Fund, Mm. and at that point I said, if you you emigrate, I'm not spending another moment pretending to be a Christian. And about a month later, they emigrated. I spent the next nine months messing around, and my 18th birthday party, I nearly nearly went to be with the Lord from alcohol poisoning. I woke up the next day, and I went and sat on a park bench on my own in Mayo Park in Forest Hill, South London, and I surrendered my life to Jesus. Why? Until that point, Jesus had been an auntie figure. Someone I knew existed, but didn't like hanging out with. And at that point, it was like, no, no, this has got to be a bit close. I'm all in. Surrender my life to Jesus. Then I prayed a really, a really dangerous prayer. With hindsight, I said to the Lord, I would go wherever, whenever, and into whatever You have for me. Wow. And within nine months, as a Bible college, I then went to Youth for Christ for 14 years, which my dad ran Youth for Christ as well. I ran Youth for Christ. Wow. My dad started Spring Harvest that you mentioned before. Okay. I now run <laughs> Spring Harvest. And in the end, I just stopped fighting. But for, for quite a few years, it was difficult. People would make funny comparisons. I remember this, this one person saying, when you preach, it's like your dad preaching with a sense of humour. But when he preaches, it's like you preaching with a brain. And you're like, actually, that's nasty. Yeah, that's really mean. And the comparison thing we do in the church, it's yeah. got to go. Because I'm not Clive Calvin Mark II, I'm Gav. I'm the own person. Yeah. And... And there's some similarity and there's some overlap, but I'm my own person and I want to make my own way. And I'm grateful for my heritage. I really am. Not just my dad, my granddad. I'm grateful for all of that. But people have got to give space to people to become who they are. And the thing that made me fight was the constant comparison from the people of God. The people people outside of the church don't care. They haven't got a clue who my dad is. But in the church, we've got to make it easier for people to find their own way amount of times like, people would say something like this and think it was funny. Oh, That was a great preacher this morning, but you're not quite as good as your dad. You're like, why, why are we doing that? Yeah. Comparison is the root of so much problem, because it makes you either feel better about yourself or okay. worse about yourself. In no way does, does anything work there. And what we need to start doing is saying, no, we're not going to compare. You've come from good stock, that's great, off you go, but we're going to cheer you on, see where you get, without putting the hamper on you, that you have to be this person or this person. Otherwise, I need a good idea, Janelle. Yeah. If my dad starts to bring my granddad started a tear fund, give me a good yeah, idea. Yeah, and
0: I'll do it. And I think that is just so interesting, and it's the process of how can we let people become all that God is calling them to be, yeah. so that they can even unbecome some of the things that we fear, and like you say, if people didn't compare you in that way, you wouldn't have tried to fight it in the first place, because it lay up an expectation in you. Completely. I well, mean, you're a leader's kid, you've got the same thing. Oh, we've, don't even get me started. But we've got to get serious. <laughs> we've got
1: to, we make it so hard, for the children of christian leaders to make it in faith because they can't just be young people no same as anyone else throwing a piranha into the baptism tank you know oh, no.
0: but they've got to be special you need to be set an example yeah it's not you fair you know who your dad is exactly. i'm like six years old guys i went to the corner shop for sweets like so you know spare yeah. me i think it is it is really interesting and, and i think I identify, and I think many people at home probably identify with fighting the call of God in their life because of some things that people have said. If you could pray for some of those people right now, what would your prayer be for them, or a word of encouragement?
1: Yeah, I think my prayer would be that one, they would listen to the Lord yeah. over the sound of the crowd, but that two, they'd also find the freedom to be who they are. Yeah, you know, I'm um, growing up as I did in the church. that was surrounded by worship. Graham Kendrick was the worship leader in our church. But one particular song that actually I think is important for people was all about butterflies. People remember at home about fuzzy wuzzy bears and all of this (laughs) and all of that. But the chorus of that song is quite profound. It says, for for you gave me a heart and you gave me a smile. You gave me Jesus and you made me a child. But I just thank you, Father, for making me me. I think until you can actually pray that, you can't always step fully into what God has for you. You have to be able to thank God for making you you. Not someone else, not a bad version Mm. of them. You know, when God made you, he was showing off. (laughs) Accept who he made you. Step into that. But I think the first thing for people growing up and, and, and struggling with that to do is to thank God that they are them, not someone else. Yeah. But then the thing for the rest of the church to do is just give them
0: space. And let them be that.
1: Give them space. And also, most leaders are redeemed rebels. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, so like, give them space. So with my own kids, me and Anne have had children. We're both leaders. So the chance of them having some struggles in their teenagers is quite high. Always, oh, yeah. But the expectation of the church will be that they're going to be incredible. Perfect. But the problem is, if they're perfect teenagers, they may not be able to kick against the world once redeemed in the name of Jesus. Yeah. So the thing in me, here's the thing I, that I find most challenging. The thing in me that the church hated as a teenager, they love about me yeah. now. So they say, oh, you're so brave. You'll stand you're up against truth the status quo. You You'll have a go. You'll, yes. yeah. Everything they hated when I was young. So what we've got to do is allow God to redeem in people what might be a struggle for them when they're young so they can step into all they could be. Amen.
0: At TBN UK, we want the gospel to be in as many homes in this country as possible. Will you pray with us that we continue to work with the vision that God has given? That's one way of partnering with TBN UK. All you can tell someone about this podcast are 24-7 programming on Freeview Channel 65 or Sky Channel 582. You can follow us on social media or give it costs £15 a minute to spread the gospel via TV. For more information on how to join us in sharing the love of Jesus through media, go to tbnuk.org. Thank you for
1: listening.